and welcome into episode number 46 of the Stick to Hockey podcast. Russ Cohen along with Jason Martinez. Follow Russ on Twitter at Sportsology. Sportsology.com is the website. Follow me at Jason Mert. Follow the podcast at Stick to Hockey Pod. Do you have a 46 number you can give us? I don't. Uh, who wore number 46? Like Todd Bergen or something like that? A lot of guys wore it in training camp, but they didn't wear it yeah. when the season started because they got cut. Yeah, we're not quite at 48 yet where we can get the Briere. So, well, that'll be, uh, remember Briere for when we get to 48. But it's 46. NHL playoffs are underway. Seasons have ended for a lot of playoff teams. Maybe some we didn't expect, which we'll get into. But uh, the highlight of today's episode, Russ, is Alain Vigneault. He yeah. will join us here on the Stick to Hockey podcast. Uh, named the Flyers coach last week. Press conference. And uh, uh, he met the media last Thursday. First, your initial thought on the hiring of Elaine Vigneault as the next bench boss. Well, I mean, it's not shocking. We did talk about him on this show. He has a tremendous record. He plays with pace. His teams play with pace. He's a former defenseman, so he does expect a certain amount of puck movement and good play and safe passes and smart passes. He doesn't like a lot of stuff up the middle, although he will have the occasional stretch pass, but he wants high percentage plays. And there were plenty of times last year where the Flyers were low percentage on some plays. And so... Those are things he is going to drill into everybody. He's going to drill it into the into the young and the old. And he says the young can play f- for him, which is true. They can, but they have to do that. And if they don't do that, they won't be playing for him. Yeah, Not the, right away. The line he used uh, in his press conference was, talent has no age. Right. So, uh, I mean, that's one of the criticisms. And people look at it and go, well, is he a guy that's going to be able to develop this young talent? Well, that, yeah. that's a big part of the equation. So let's get to him right away. Right here out of the chute, we go to uh, Flyers head coach, uh, Elaine Vigneault, joining us here on the Stick to Hockey podcast. Elaine, how you doing? Good. How you doing, guys? Well, we're doing very well, and uh, I know it's been a chaotic couple of weeks for you, but uh, let's start first and foremost is what drew you to the job? What uh, made you get back into the NHL, and why was the Flyers uh, an alluring proposition for you to get back into the NHL? Well, I, I thought that uh, with, with my record, uh, you know, I would get uh, another opportunity to coach in the NHL. And uh, if I were to get that opportunity, I was looking for some place where I would have a chance to win, you know, a chance to win uh, in the not too uh, far future. And um, when I looked at the uh, Flyers lineup and uh, the possibilities that are in front of us as far as uh, – you know, being able to improve that lineup, uh, I definitely thought that uh, Philly was was one of those destinations. And in in my choice of of where I wanted to go, obviously the people that I work with, the general manager wanted to work with someone that uh, you know we shared uh, some of the same philosophies that are needed to build build the winner. And I've been very fortunate throughout my career. I've coached for the Montreal Canadiens, the New York Rangers, and the Vancouver Canucks, three first-class organizations. I know you need, uh, obviously, a, a great ownership to be able to, you know, to build the right culture and, and build the right environment. And everything that I've been told about the, the Flyers is exactly that. So <clears throat> when I was able to uh, meet with uh, Chuck Fletcher, and we discussed a number of things, and uh, they had the, the criteria that I was looking for as far as me coming back into coaching. Elaine, uh, a while back you coached the uh, Manitoba Moose, and some of those players graduated up with you to the Canucks. And I kind of wonder, as time will go on here, is that something you'll look at with this organization? Because you have a lot of young players, you'll have new guys in Lehigh, and will you sort of be keeping an eye on them in hopes of that happening? Oh, exactly. I think, you know, depth 
in an organization to have success is a must. Uh, you know, there's the challenge of the schedule, the number of games that you have to play, uh, if you're uh, healthy or not. And at some point or not in a, in a season, you're going to need uh, help from the whole organization and <clears throat> making sure that uh, you have some uh, good young players that, that are coming up, that are developing through your system is a must. And I've been told that uh, in our farm system, we've got quite a few good pieces that are, are close to knocking on the NHL door. You know, they got to put a foot in and, and they've got to show that they belong there. But I've been told that uh, we've got uh, some good prospects and uh, hopefully we'll have a few of those guys knocking at the door this year and making our team. Yeah, Russ brings up your time with the Manitoba Moose. Of course, Coach Hall in the Quebec Major Junior League years ago. But right now, the league has gotten younger and younger, faster and more skilled in the last couple of years. Even from the time you spent in Vancouver and then with the Rangers, the league is rapidly changing uh, in a lot of different ways with the speed and the skill. Uh, How do you anticipate... Uh, now you're getting back into the NHL and kind of what you see out of this Flyers roster. Now you haven't done a deep dive yet, but how do you want to play in today's NHL? Has that changed from your core philosophies back in Vancouver, Montreal, and then obviously with the Rangers as well? Yeah, you know, I, I just feel that in today's game, you know, the ability to go from defense to offense, that quick transition is a must. And one of those areas is having those. Uh, defenseman that can uh, obviously beat a hard forechecking team and and get that puck in the hands of the forwards and then from there you know using your speed to counter attack and making sure that your D's are involved in that attack you know a four man rush in today's game is is a must it's too easy to cover when you just have three guys going going up the ice so you know I I believe in skill I believe in speed I believe in talent has no age if a young player is, is ready to step in the lineup and uh, contribute and help us win games. He's going to be in the lineup. And in today's game, uh, the way that cap is structured, you need uh, young players, you need your core players, and you need the, the good veteran guys that uh, can bring that intangible uh, that is so needed to, you know, in our dressing room as far as the example and, and the leadership that's needed. So, you know, we've got some some strong uh, pieces in in Philly, and hopefully, uh, with youth coming up and and a couple of the, uh, added additions from our part, uh, we're going to be a team that the fans are really proud to come and watch, and we're going to be a team that that wins. And that's what I'm in here to do. Uh, I'm missing one thing on my my bucket list, and that's a Stanley Cup, and that's what I'm hoping to get here and working to get in Philly. Elaine, you um, you look good at the press conference. Your suit looked good. You're always impeccably dressed. <laughs> what is your secret? Where do you get your suits from? Please tell our listeners. I've got a great tailor in Montreal that I've had for a long time. He's a friend of mine now, and that's where I do my my uh, my shopping. Well, you got it to to. to... To play well, you got to look good, and that goes into preparation. <laughs> so let's talk about that. Let's talk about leadership real quick because one of the knocks on this uh, team and, and this core is the not being ready to start games. Uh, 32 times this year, they got themselves into a 2 nothing hole. Uh, crazy that they ended up finishing basically NHL 500 in those games. But it's incumbent upon players to play and be ready to play. What's your philosophy on leadership and, and having these players get themselves ready to play? Well, as far as getting themselves ready, I think uh, coaches have a responsibility as far as, you know, giving your team a plan that uh, if they execute, they're going to have success on the ice. In that plan, obviously, there's the pre-scouting, but 
There's our game, taking our game to the opposition. That's one full, but two full players have a big responsibility also, a big responsibility in getting themselves uh, in that mental state where you can go out on the ice and execute and perform and compete. And that's their responsibility. It's like uh, this is a team sport, but in that team sport, there's an individual component, and that's the player's responsibility. We will help them when I say we, I see myself and the coaching staff, uh, to help the players understand that and do what uh, is needed so that they do are capable of going on the ice and executing and performing. I'm very confident that, uh, you know, with a type of routine that I set pregame for our teams and the type of meetings that we have, that our players are going to be well-prepared individually and collectively. As far as leadership goes, I firmly believe that the best type of, of leadership is the one that has the power to influence, influence uh, their teammates, on doing the right thing, whether the the right thing is on the ice, whether the right thing off the ice is in the gym, in the preparation that we've just talked about. I don't know um, really any of the Philly players individually. Uh, I will get to know them. I believe that there are some uh, very good um, components as far as, you know, players' ability to play. Now I'll look in and help certain guys with that leadership aspect, and I'm very confident that we can all work together and make this work. Elaine, uh, after the draft, there'll be a rookie camp, and I imagine you'll be there sort of looking at some of the new guys, but I wonder before that happens, have you made any suggestions to the Flyers as to maybe how the rookie camp should go, what you're looking for? Because you've, you've been in a lot of organizations. I imagine you could bring over a lot of information. Yeah. yeah, you know what? Uh, I, I'm, I'm not there in, in, on, in my to-do list. <laughs> I got quite a few things on, on my to-do list, but I, I do know one thing. In the short amount of time that I've been uh, with the Flyers, uh, there, there's a lot of very, very competent people in this organization, people that uh, do things the right way. And one of those things that I've, I've looked at is the, um, the component of uh, player development, the component of, of conditioning. I've been in, in contact with their conditioning coach and what my expectations are moving forward. And they've got a very strong personnel as far as uh, that development camp in place. They know exactly what they want to do as far as helping young flyers uh, help them uh, become the best that they can be. So, uh, I'm going to take care of, of, of more of the, the players that are here and close, and with very competent staff is going to take care of the players that are coming up through the system. As a guy, uh, Elaine, who coached in this division in, in your last stop in New York, uh, you certainly had to deal with uh, uh, players like Claude Giroux and Sean Couturier, a younger version, and he's really blossomed the last two years. You'll get your hands on him uh, coaching the Worlds for Canada uh, coming up in May. And also your goaltender, uh, one of your goaltenders for that team is going to be Carter Hart. When you look at the goaltending position, especially the way you play, uh, where you got that four-man unit uh, to attack or a five-man unit on occasion, you're going to have to get saves from a goaltender. You had a pretty good one in Vancouver and Roberto Luongo. You had a pretty darn good one in New York and Henrik Lundqvist. But to to play your style, you need a goalie that's going to bail you out sometimes. Is that part of the reason why you looked at this Flyers job and saw the job that Carter Hart did as a youngster? And, get, and these fans really excited about what he brings to the table. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. I mean... A good young goaltender, and I would say to you that any team in the NHL that is having having success 
on a consistent basis is getting strong goaltending. You know, it, in today's game, it's probably the most important position. So we've got, we're very fortunate in Philly to have a very strong young goaltender with a, a lot of upside and a lot of potential. Uh, he had, uh, uh, you know, a very good first year, and uh, I'm very confident that, uh, you know, he's going to, to get better, and I'm going to get to know him uh, at the World Championships. Uh, but uh, as far as, as the way we play and, and what we need, strong goaltending is a must on any team that wants to win, and uh, we're confident that with uh, our young goaltender that we have that uh, on our team. Elaine, you talked about the uh, goal differential in your press conference, and the Flyers' differential was bad. Their home record was 19-18-4, and, and, and one of the hallmarks I felt like when you were coaching your various teams was you had a really good home ice advantage. What will you do or what, what will the feeling be to sort of bring back that home ice advantage for the Flyers that maybe they've lost a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it, it's really hard for me to, to comment on, on what was happening in the past here since I'm not very familiar. And well, you have to be in the trenches to know what, what was going on. But I do know for me, I don't believe that there are two ways of playing a home way and a road way. I believe there's one way to play, and that's the right way. And I intend to bring that uh, to, our, to my team uh, at home and on the road. But there's obviously, you know, that home advantage when you've got you know fans behind you the energy that's there the energy in the building something that's coming from the rangers and playing here in philly and i remember my first year um with new york we had a a series against philly that went to game seven and we the rangers were able to pull it off in game seven but uh flyers to me has has always been a, a hard place to play hard place for the opposition to come in and uh, we're definitely going to stress bringing that uh, next year as, as soon as uh, game, game one. Well, Lane, you've coached in uh, several, you mentioned high-profile positions. Montreal gets no higher. Another Canadian city in Vancouver. You go to a cup final. You go to a cup final uh, with the Rangers as well. We know you've got a lot of work to do. Good luck uh, coaching uh, Team Canada in the Worlds. I know it's going to be a, uh, a hectic month for you. And uh, best of luck uh, with this offseason. And we're looking forward to uh, getting it started coming up in the fall. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Anytime. And there he is, Flyers' new head coach, Elaine Vigneault, getting ready to coach uh, the world team. Yeah. And uh, have a couple of Flyer players on that team. Sean Couturier. Is Carter Claude. Hart. He says Claude the right way, and that, that's kind of good. Well, he's a French-Canadian. Yeah. Claude. Now, will Claude show up on that team? We don't know yet. No, nah, I don't think that. He was invited. Wife's pregnant. I know, but he was invited. Yeah, and the new coach invites new you. Coach. It's kind of like, oh, man, now I feel obligated. Yeah, I mean, you know, no pressure, Claude. You want to come play? It was easy to turn down Elaine Vigneault uh, two weeks ago when he wasn't my um, new coach. Yeah. Remember turned Carter- down Hack and uh, Hextall. Remember Carter Hart's one of his goalies. One of the yep. Flyers goalie coaches will be there. Kim Dillaball, yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of inside Flyers stuff there. Mm-hmm. I imagine he'll do some scouting for potential UFAs in mm-hmm. that tournament on sure. his own team. No doubt. You know, this is a, a good inside scouting job for uh for him and the Flyers for the upcoming season, yeah, you can get you can gain a lot of knowledge in a tournament. Like Absolutely, this. what guys think you know, not only like looking at guys like Couturier and Carter Hart and guys that'll play for you next year, but again, how guys are in the locker room that may be a pending UFA, yep, or even an RFA, so yeah. We'll see how that plays out. Don't go the offer sheet thing, though. Please, dude, let's. We're not talking. I'm going to get there sheets. eventually because no, I not. watched Mitch Marner block two shots at the end of a game uh, the other night to to secure the Leafs' win. 
Yeah, and then after that, he disappeared for you know last game. So. I watched Mitch Marner block two shots. Great, at the end of that game. great. great. <laughs> well, they have a game seven, but anyway, let, let's uh, recap on on Vino real quick because the reason why I like the hire, and you're, you're right, he's a guy that we talked about, he's a guy I've been tweeting about even prior that would definitely be on their radar is proven success. Um, he has coached two teams to a Stanley Cup final. I think he's a coach that was actually ahead of the curve to where the game is now. Yeah, no question. I think that he was been coaching a style that is becoming more prevalent now, and it's going to be interesting to see how far he takes it even more forward and with the way the NHL is being played as a high-skilled, high-speed game. Well, remember, play in the queue was always that way. It was mm-hmm. always up-tempo. The, the knock on the queue was, well, you can't go by points in the queue because they don't really play defense. Yep. It wasn't that they didn't play defense. It's just they always had a lot of up-tempo offense, and yep. he coached that. So he brought that over, right? Like yep. that is something that all his teams have had. Yeah, and, and it's going to be interesting too because what is the instant effect? Because one of the one of the things that stuck out to me um, from both Chuck Fletcher and from Elaine Vigneault is that they need to do things differently and they need to have a different mindset. And that just doesn't mean on the ice. And they repeated it that it's an off the ice mindset. Okay, it's a preparation. It's a way you think about the game. It's a way you handle mm-hmm. yourself as a professional. Well, you know he wants to get to the Stanley Cup, and there's nothing less. So yep. at least the bar is high on that. You also know that practice just got harder. Oh, that's yes. good. And finer details at practice just got harder. Mm-hmm. So that's good, too, to get guys out of like that, that robotic mold mm-hmm. that they were sort of in. You also know that the end of the season, when guys were not playing their best, would not fly for Vigneault even if they weren't going to make the playoffs and guys would be hitting the bench a lot more than what you know Gordon did. Yep. That will change too. So those things will change a lot. And Vigneault, look, he will say stuff in the press. He is not going to completely defend his team 100% of the yeah. time. He will let some stuff fly if if it gets you know to the point where he feels like, hey, it was costly. He'll do it in a very professional way. Yep. He's very polished. He's very professional. He'll He's send great. messages that he way, said, He will send messages. He's great with the media. Fans will love him because of that. But at the end of the day, he will do that, and he will get the most out of his players. Nobody's ever really looked at an Elaine Vigneault team and said, you know, they're underperforming. Yeah. Well, that, that's the thing, too, and the thing that I like about it is I think a lot of times over the past couple of years, fans in Philadelphia – almost let some of the players off the hook because they wanted to blame the coach. Right. They wanted to fire hack or whatever it is. And to me, a coach never skates a shift. A coach never has a turnover. Those things. And the coach, I don't think it's the coach's job in professional sports to get professional players ready to play a game when it starts at 7.05. No, but he has to give them the tools to win. Prepare them to play. Right. They have to play, and they have to have their level of compete ready to play. And if yeah. you don't in that league, if your compete level is just a hair off, you go down to nothing like they did 32 times last year. Right. So I never put, I, I think it's the player's job to do that. But the thing that I like is the accountability factor. But he'll also, you, he will hold players accountable. He'll do some different things. Like if he sees that play is lagging at home and they've been starting with a certain line, he's going to start with a completely different line for the mm-hmm. next couple games at home. Yep. He will do things like that to change things up. He's not one of those guys like we see right now, and we'll eventually talk about it, like Mike Babcock has made almost no lineup changes. That has not been yo. He will he will he'll make tinker. some – he'll tinker. Now, again, will he fall in love with one of the tougher players like he did Tanner Glass? Probably. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it will be Terrell Goldborn. I don't know who it will be. It'll probably be Sam Moran, and Moran will play seven minutes a game and, and get into a fight a game and yep. – 
and play on the penalty kill. And then if someone asks a question, well, why is Sam Moran playing? He doesn't offer much. He'll be like he's on the penalty kill. Like, it's just, you know, that's going to happen. That happens with all coaches. Yep. You are going to have to deal with that. But the pluses really outweigh the minuses. And I do think they're really going to look at the defensive core. I don't think he'll put up with Andrew McDonald, so I think he'll get bought out yeah, or traded or something. Yeah. I also think that Shane Gossespierre could have a role in, in his offense. I agree. Because that is what he wants to play, and he might get him to the 70-point mark. I don't I don't think they'll trade him right away. Now, if Ivan Provorov signs, which we all believe he will, but if, if, if he does, I think he'll shoot him towards the Ryan McDonough role because Ryan McDonough's point totals went up a lot under Elaine Vigneault. And I think they, Provorov slagged because... He got a lot of goals by basically pinching in and, and knocking in a lot of shots late in the season two years ago. Yeah. Didn't happen this year. Down by the net. Yeah, yeah, down by the net. This year it didn't happen. So I think some of his other parts of his offensive game dipped. And I also think he'll turn up the physicality in Provorov like he did with McDonough because they're, you know, they're both strong guys. They both play a similar game. Mm-hmm. And so I, I see that happening. Okay. Yeah. I think that when you go back to Gossespair, I think. Elaine Vigneault is going to see the 60-point season and say, let me have a crack with this guy. Let me mm-hmm. see what I can do with this guy. Uh, and that's why I think that there may be a role. So yeah. the, the fate of a player may have changed with the coach. Yep. Uh, simple question. Are the Flyers a better team today than the one that ended the season just because of the additional? Well, I mean, blindly, I could tell you they'll get three, four more wins. Doesn't mean they'd still make the playoffs, folks. Yeah. Because you still need talent. You still need other stuff. But I tell you right now that, you know, he's good for three to five more wins. Yeah. Okay. Without well, doing anything. Yeah. Well, just, I mean, just coaching. It, it was a bold hire, and they really they opened up the wallet. They went five years, $25 million for yeah. a coach. Um, well, he's got that tailor in, in Montreal. He's got to keep going. Those suits ain't cheap, man. Yeah, that guy's got a nice cottage, too. He's got to keep oh, yeah. upkeep on. Uh, but when you look at that, when I see five times, you know, five times five for $25 million, I'm going, he's probably going to bring in some of his own assistants. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, I don't know exactly who he's going to bring in. Mm-hmm. I know that the Flyers are going to ask for him to probably keep a few. Yep. That's fine. If he's okay with it, that's fine. I don't think that's the make it or break it situation with this team, although you could make an argument that the defense slagged again, even though they changed defensive coaches. Yep. So I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah, it's as, Rick Wilson. Yeah, I don't know. Like, Rick Wilson's got all this experience. I get it. Is he worth keeping? That's what he'll have to decide. Like yeah. that, that's going to be a tough one. Yeah, and you look at guys like uh, Ian Laperriere, who catches a lot of crap around here. I can't believe that he's still here. I imagine I don't know what the fate is of Laperriere. We all love the guy, but at this point, the if results he were, are the results. Yeah, if if he were gone, it wouldn't shock anybody. Yeah, um, the one guy I see they'll find a role for, I think, is because I think they think really highly of him is Knobloch. Yeah. So if he's not on the staff, there's a chance, and Gordon doesn't decide to go back to the Phantoms, I could see him being the head coach of the Phantoms. Yeah, I could see that. I kind of wonder, will Dillabaugh stay the goaltender coach? Like, that's an interesting mm. one. Yeah. Because the next goalie, besides Hart, they're going to have another goalie come in. Who's that guy's guy going to be? Who's, you know, yep. Dillabaugh's not really Hart's guy. I mean, he knows him because yeah. he's been here, but it's only half a season. You could definitely go with somebody else. Yeah, and Dillabaugh was basically brought here because Hextall came from L.A., and right. Dillabaugh was Jonathan Quick's goaltender right. coach. But in our interview with Chuck, he said they have multiple goaltending guys. Mm-hmm. Who's the other one? Yeah. Well, yeah, the, the, the listed goalie coach is Kim Dillabaugh. Right. Who are the other guys? Yeah, who Where else do they come gives, from? And... Who else gives the input? So I kind of wonder if that'll change a little bit. And, yeah. and look, if, if he is going to stick with that 30-50 method, then that other guy 
could play 50, he could play 30. So he's going to be a factor as to whether they make the playoffs or not. Well, I, I think we just cinched up who the other goalie is. I mean, you would think because Cam Talbot played for Avigno and everything yeah. else. But again, in that role, we but we can't say it's a lock only because he he didn't play much at the end of the year. Yeah. Now maybe that gets him a little more salary as a Mia Copa, but you know what if it sat wrong with him? Like we don't know that answer until we yeah. talk to Cam Talbot or see a quote about it or see the contract signed. I think there's going to be a little bit of question about it. Not a lot, but yeah. a little. I, I, from what I hear, and I've talked to a few people about it, that he does really want to be here. Okay. Since after the season. Okay. That this is a good situation for him. And that 50-30 split that Chuck mentioned when we interviewed him a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, um, I think is an allure to him. No, I think it is too. Yeah. Because And knowing Cam a little bit, he's going to be in an upcoming college hockey book I'm writing. I really like the guy's mental makeup. Mm-hmm. I always have. He's very even keel. Doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low, doesn't yeah. mouth off. He's a good teammate. He will work well with Hardy. Trains with him. So if yep. he does sign with the Flyers, he'll train with them all off season. All those things are a positive, man. Yeah, no question about it. So Elaine Vino, the, uh, the the news. I mean, here, here's an example. Like if those guys are training together, I would probably put together a promotional video with like the courtship of Eddie fa- Eddie's father's theme playing in mm-hmm. the uh, <laughs> in the backdrop. There you go. You've got a recommendation for Flyers TV. <laughs> By the way, there is a Carter, episode, uh, Carter Hart episode coming up on Flyers TV. Ah, there you I go. I've already recorded the narration for said episode. Um, all right, let's get into, uh, and we'll get, and obviously, when more Flyers news breaks, the naming of assistants, those things, I imagine not much is going to happen until after May at this point because he's going to coach yeah, the Yeah, there's not much happening. Um, and then when we get closer to draft time, we'll talk about all of those uh The only thing that could happen, the only thing, is if Sean Couturier were to get hurt, well, Playing there under Vigneault, I kind of wonder how that would play here. It'd be an ominous start <laughs> for overusage, uh, right? Yeah, could you see it though? Yeah, yeah, I oh, can see it. Oh boy, yeah. Somebody tweeted me today because I mentioned on the radio. I said um, there will be lineup changes and there'll be roster changes, obviously. And somebody yeah. said, "Please don't tell me they're trading Sean Couturier. They are not no, going to trade why would Sean they Couturier. Do that? that would be the dumbest move in no. the history of the NHL. Right no, now. it's not happening. Not happening. Not a four point three million dollar cap hit for several more years. A bargain. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the best contracts in the league. Um, let's look at the playoffs because uh, when we last spoke here on the podcast, they hadn't started yet. Now they've already ended for a few teams, and the two number one seeds in each conference are eliminated. Calgary done. And the Tampa Bay Lightning swept out of the, swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets. I mean, it's crazy. It's the craziest thing I've seen in I years. I will say this. We all see the field of 64 brackets for mm-hmm. you know, the NCAAs, and everybody bets on that. Everybody does everything, right? Have you ever seen where a league or anybody has gone and said, you know what? We're going to redo the brackets because they all got busted. Because everybody had said team winning the first round. <laughs> I mean, but when's, have you ever witnessed yeah. that in your life? I never have. Yeah, I mean, Virginia lost two years ago to a 16 seed. They were number one seed and lost to a 16. Then they okay. came back the next year and won it all, by the way. Right. So maybe that's the fate of the Tampa Bay but Lightning. But this is craziness. Yeah. Like, this is, and there's always somebody, not everybody had Tampa, right? But most everybody had these two teams. Yeah. Tampa is an interesting thing because forgetting about the president's trophy curse, we what are there, six or eight teams that have won it? Mm. It's fine. Whatever. I think it's John Cooper, and I think Jeff Vinnick is being mm. cheap by keeping John Cooper. I they think, just extended him a week prior to the playoffs. Yeah, and I think it's a mistake. Mm. We've seen that. We've seen that mistake made in sports. Yep. I'm not saying John Cooper is a bad coach. What I'm saying is I think the way John Cooper coaches, 
was good and unique a few years ago. I don't think it's the case anymore. A seven-game series is markedly different than a regular season. Correct. Because of the strategic elements. That, yeah, Corey Conacher is not helping you in, yeah. in the playoffs, you know? Yep. And so you could start looking at some of those other guys. And I'm not saying the smaller guys because I – there was a whole thing on Twitter about that the other day that I obliterated. Uh, but the I, Gaudreau thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Stop. Stop with the nonsense. Yeah, but talent's talent. But I, yeah, talent is talent. But, but again, the way Cooper plays, and he does sort of rely on these veterans on defense that are a little bit slower. Like, he's got to move out Girardi. He's got to move out Coburn. Yeah. Those guys have to go. Yeah. Anton Stroman. They've all got to go. Yeah. And you've got to go out in free agency. Bring up some other guys, trade for some other guys. Like Julian Breezebois didn't do a lot last offseason. He didn't have to do a lot, though, right? Yeah. Steve Eiserman set him up. Yeah, he set the table very nicely. The- and it's not like, by the way, we just had to start sharing a mic here on the podcast because <laughs> we had a technical issue. It's a very personal, up close and personal yeah. show yeah. now. Do you want a milkshake with two straws? No, <laughs> but you know what? If I want a goddamn milkshake, I want a milkshake and not coconut or cucumber or lemon water. When's the last time you went and got lemon water instead of a milkshake? Never. Okay, so why do you want Joel Embiid to do that? Because he's a professional athlete. Let him have his milkshake, dude. Yeah, well, it looks like uh, the t- you can have a milkshake. You don't need four from Fine. Chick-fil-A. Fine. He's a professional athlete. I sit on my fat ass in a radio studio and play men's league and get lit up. Uh, anyway, uh, but anyway, the Tampa Bay Lightning, you could see, and to your point, the the veteran D that can't, that can't move as well, the pace of the playoffs. Tortorella did an amazing job with Columbus. Yeah. Oh, no, he did. And But again— I'm looking at the downside of Tampa, and now that defense worries me, and it worries me for next year. So they've got to revamp it. Yeah, They're going to have some salary cap issues. Tyler Johnson's probably going to get traded. They're going to have to do some things to alleviate some cap space because Braden Point's got to get paid. Yeah. So they've they've got some big things. So now Julian Breezebois has a big offseason ahead of him now, much bigger than he probably thought it was going to be. Yeah, and it's going to be a lot longer than he thought it was going to be, too. Oh, yeah. And, and the funny thing is people were, were tweeting me saying, well, what do they do in Tampa? Do they blow it up? I'm like, blow it up? You can't blow it up. I mean, <laughs> maybe what you do, the only thing I could think of was you find a Justin Williams-type veteran-proven playoff performer and add that to the lineup. Sure. I mean, that's going to be— can. Yeah, that that's going to be hard to do. I mean, that's there's not a lot of those guys out there. Even Justin well, the Williams tried it, <laughs> right? Even Justin Williams may hang it up after this year, right? Yeah. I mean, so it's hard to find those guys. Yeah, and, and the the Caps tried to do that with Justin Williams. They, incidentally, they won it the year after he left, right? Um, but that that's the only thing I could think of to even do. I mean, they were a great team. Uh, so Calgary's out now. All of a sudden, now Calgary. All right, let's talk about Calgary for a mm-hmm. minute because. Everybody was saying, Mike Smith, Mike Smith, he's your best player. He was the best player. If Mike Smith was the best player on this team, then they had bigger problems than I ever imagined because Mike Smith has been there the whole time. Yep. It's, Mike Smith wasn't necessarily he, – he won some games for him. There's no question. But there were still some games where I saw that Mike Smith needed to make the big save. He didn't go out high enough on the blue paint. There were some things Mike Smith didn't do that got some goals. And now was his defense sagging? Yeah, he was giving, getting 50 shots against. But – you could show me the heat maps. You could show me analytics. But yep. at the end of the day, a goalie has to make some game-saving stops. Yep, that's sometimes, his job. Sometimes three or four. We saw that, and we'll talk about that in some of the other series. I don't know if he did it. Now, Johnny Goudreau, people want to rip him. He was a little snake bit, and it wasn't like he didn't have scoring chances. He hit the post a lot. Yeah. So, again, I think this Goudreau hate was a little bit much or or. Overstated, pickiness, in my opinion. Overstated. Yeah. And then the other thing was, look, there was a play where Nathan McKinnon just undressed Johnny Goudreau. It was almost like he went on the inside of the boards or he went through him. It was so fast, I couldn't even tell what happened when yeah. he got in on net. 
that's what I mean. Nathan McKinnon's great. Nathan McKinnon's a top, top three five, player. Yeah. yeah, probably a top three player at this point. Yeah. So it is going to happen. But Calgary's defense. Probably not as good as we thought it was. Yeah, and they got exposed, and and now they're out. Um, staying in the Western Conference, when you look at uh, St. Louis, as I look at the Vegas odds that come out today, they have the best odds to now win the Stanley Cup. Well, I am stunned. We're all stunned a little bit, but we're, we shouldn't be that stunned. I, I mean, I've joked about it. They were went from worst to first, right? Mm-hmm. Jordan January Bennington, 3rd, they were the worst team in the league. Jordan Bennington came in. Shut out the Flyers. And it started to change. Now, people who know me were sick of hearing about Bennington because I had been talking him up for a long time, and then he finally got his chance, and now people could see what I was talking about. All that aside, they still had great players in place, Mm -hmm. but they just weren't working because the goaltending was undermining the team. So at that point, first half of the season, Jay Bowmeister looked horrible. Second half, he looked so good, they gave him an extension. I don't blame him. People were talking about trading Tarasenko. I blew that off. I was like, there's no way that's happening. Mm-hmm. How's Tarasenko now? Trangelo. He's great. Yeah. Breaker. Yeah, all these guys were on yep. the block. Now none of them are on the block, yeah. right? That's what a good goalie can do for you. And then again, guys came back. You know, Fabry's back. Jaden Schwartz just had a hat trick recently. He played the game of his life. He's healthy. He's a guy. I once sat next to Jaden Schwartz at, at the World Juniors in Buffalo, and he had like a cast on his leg. Like, that's how it's been for him a yeah. lot. Yeah. So... All these things are working for him. And I even said, and I didn't say it on this show, but I said it on another show, it wouldn't even shock me if they won the Stanley Cup at this point because that's yeah. how crazy this league and is. And their mocks, they just got it right yeah. now. Whatever it is, that the confidence that just swells the team, they got it. They're not questioning it. They want to play every other, they want to play a game every night and just keep it going. Yeah. It's insane. It's absolutely incredible. Winnipeg, they just couldn't hold on to leads. They couldn't hold on to leads. I mean, Hellebuck was really good. The Winnipeg defense was giving up some glorious chances. Mm-hmm. That that wasn't great. Bufflin was was good for a couple games, but mostly horrible. Yep. That first goal he gave up in the last game where yep. I don't even know why he couldn't get out of the way and he went almost right into his goalie. Yeah. Like that just almost derailed the whole game right out of the gate. Yeah. Like that's that was a bad omen. It's crazy. And you know what? I'm thinking someone like Dale Talon may be interested in him. Maybe they'll use him as a forward again, put him in the crease again. But if I'm Winnipeg, I gotta get rid of Dustin Bufflin because I know it's a hard, hard contract to do, but if I can get rid of Bufflin, maybe I can keep Trooper with that. I'm telling you, I don't think Bufflin does them any favors anymore. Yeah. I think it's gotten to the point where he's hurting them. I, even Brian Little is a diminishing asset, but he's got a no trade. So, <laughs> believe it or not, he's got a no trade this How year. How did he get it? I know. Next year he doesn't, but this year he does. I still would go to him and try and trade him because I think he's blocking Jack Roslevic a little bit yep. as to – Roslovic, you know, look, Roslovic didn't play great. He didn't have any points. But there's a lot of upside there that I don't think Little has anymore. Little was pretty good on some draws, but he had like three points in six games. I would just like to see them move out some of those guys, shake it up a little bit. Maurice is under fire, but I still think he'll keep his job because at the end of the day, go look at I mean, everybody wants their coach to be fired now when the playoffs end, but you'll be getting in line. There's like four other teams, or I don't even know, like Edmonton's still looking. There's teams, oh, yeah. There's teams still looking. There's not enough guys for those teams anymore because everybody goes, well, Scott Sandlin. For all we know, Scott Sandlin told the Flyers, hey, I really appreciate you guys coming to me, but I had no intention of leaving. Yeah, I'm standing. I'm going I'm right. to win another national championship. Right. So yeah. he may not go to anybody. Yeah. So the field isn't as great as I think people are. Sheldon Keefe isn't, obviously isn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's going to get an extension with the Leafs because I think in a he's couple the of years. He's parent. Yeah. I think Babcock can be gone And that's the job that he wants. And that is the job that he wants. Yeah. That's his dream job. So end of the day, I think Maurice stays. The Jets, 
unfortunately, our team that spends close to the cap, never fully to the cap, they may have to do that now. Yeah. Um, game seven coming up in the Western Conference. Who gets the win? Sharks. I do. I, I agree. I think they. Joe Thornton get... skated in his last game like a Joe Thornton, and I haven't seen in two or three years. Yeah. The skating was tremendous. Him and LeBanc had some magic. They had mm-hmm. some magic in overtime. LeBanc was playing really great in overtime, too, because they didn't play him a lot of minutes during the game. I think it was like 12 or something. And then that's what you do, though. That's what good coaching does. As long you, as you don't a- give up a goal in the first minute of a period every game, you're okay. Yeah. And and people <laughs> rip Martin Jones. And I have been I've been backing well, he's been him horrible. Yeah. On and off. It's not like he's been horrible every game. Well, that, see, that's the problem, though, is you don't know which Martin Jones you're getting. Most of the time this year, no, you're getting I, crappy Martin Jones because uh, no, his, his it's, technique it's, is you horrible. You don't know which Eric Carlson you're getting. Well, he, that too, yeah. He's been on the ice for like mm-hmm. 15 goals, but a couple of games ago, I noticed that San Jose He was, was on the ice for more goals than Martin Jones, by the way. Correct. Because he was on the ice for some empty netter. Right. So I think what's happened here is I believe that they made a little change and they're putting Carlson in better offensive situations, and fewer situations where they can be victimized. Mm-hmm. Last night, in that game, in the overtimes, even with him banged up, his puck possession was really good, and yeah. it made a big difference. Their veterans, Pavelski played a great game. Yeah, I mean, their veterans really stepped up and didn't make mistakes. And you know what? That's what's going to excuse me, hurt Vegas, because I don't think Vegas's blue line is all that great. Now, you could say, well, Russ, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury only faced 27, 28 shots. They're good at shot suppression, but they give up some glorious chances. Yeah, it's and not the number. You can't ever look at the number. Not, no, it's but everybody quali- wants to look everybody wants to look at the heat maps and all yeah, these no, other no, things. No, no. And you know what? That's wrong. Again, that game could have ended as quickly as LeBanc had that shot and Flurry was up on the blue paint. Mm-hmm. It was one of the great saves in the playoffs. It doesn't look like one of the great sprawling saves, right? Rene had one that looked better. Mm-hmm. But that save was extraordinary because he went way out of position to make that and steer it see, to the see, side. Here's the thing. People don't realize sometimes. You look at the end result of the save. You don't look at the culpability of the goal. You go, oh, my God, what a great sprawling save. The pr- the reason why he had to make that is because he made two bad decisions in save selection prior to that. Right. So a lot of times you look at it, you go, well, you look at how That's a goalie. That's what Hasek used to do. His reads yeah. were bad, but he had the reflexes. Exactly. You can look at it and you go, is a goalie playing well? The, the way to look at it is not always the acrobatic saves. It's what what – what did they do to put themselves in a position to have to make an acrobatic save? It's You can't just look at the end result. And you look at that and you go, he screwed up here and here. But you look at the end result, but he made the save. Okay. But if you keep doing that, that's going to pan out not in your direction because your save selection is not dialed in. You're not on the puck. You're not square. You're putting yourself out of position. You're too aggressive, so you got further to travel on cross-ice passes if you're going across you know, the Royal Road, as Steve Aliquette calls it or whatever. Aliquette's great, by the way. Yeah. He is like the goalie whisperer. Oh, he, yeah. he is fun. He gave me a quote back in the day when he used to come here and beat the Flyers twice a year mm-hmm. where he basically said one game, you know what, this was playing like this was like playing you know, EA's NHL game. That's what he said. <laughs> Well, this was like a, and video, a video game, game. and but that's the way he thinks. Yeah. Like it's just it is funny right. the way he and he's really good at bringing that across. Now, yeah, the ClearSight Analytics is his website, csahockey.com. Now, give us an idea of what went wrong on that flurry goal with Thomas Hurdle. Who by okay, the, yeah, the, the overtime Thomas goal. Hurdle, the overtime goal. Yeah. Who by the way he guaranteed the game seven and he's got it. Yeah, and he got it. And here's the deal. And I and I saw uh, Mike McKenna, Florida Flyers goaltender, and play with, finished his career with the Phantoms. I saw him point this out, and if you look at it. The hurdle goal, it looks like a bad goal. Right. When you watch the play, you go, that's a win a goal he's got to have. But when upon further review, and you have to consider this, when hurdle is taking the shot before the puck comes off his stick, 
it hits the defender, the Vegas defender's stick. Right. Now, Marc-Andre Fleury, is re- he's going through all his data through his head as this is happening. He's reading the, go- the, the shooters. He's reading Hurdle's position of his hips. He's re- reading his shoulders. He's reading his hands. He's reading where the defender is. And he's reading the blade of the stick, which is the most important part of a goalie read, is where the puck is on the stick, the angle of the stick, and where it's going to come off the stick. And when the stick before the puck leaves hits the defender's stick, now the puck comes off, A, faster— because the follow-through is different. But he's already into his save selection and leaning based on all of that information, which is why it looks like it ties him into a knot, and he gets caught because he thinks the puck is going more left to his glove hand side, but because it comes off sooner, it actually comes more into his body and goes through. So when that when that stick hits the defender's stick, it throws all of those calculations Makes sense. off. There's no way a goalie is going to react and make saves in that league. You can't do it. It's point one point two zero seconds is reaction time. You know, it's funny. A lot of times guys drop down too soon to block shots mm-hmm. and try and stop shots too much, and it does foul up goalies. Sometimes you wish they wouldn't do it. Yeah. And well, that's why the best shot. have a read on it. Yeah, that's why the best shot is more than 11 inches off the ice because the pad is 11 inches high. And if the goalie just goes down into a blocking situation like that and plays a percentage, now pucks that come out from behind the net, you do that because most times they're not going to be able to get up and they're just trying to whack it in the net from, right. you know, and you're out of position. That's why you just, you're down in that position. You can slide. But that's why the best shots are uh, 11 inches up. I mean, I'll, I have a, I'll tweet this out for everybody. Uh, where the goals are scored in the league, it's, okay. it's tremendous. Um, when you look at the exact spot where they are scored in the NHL, and I'm bringing it up right now for us, when you look at this, this is the science of scoring, and they, they measured every shot. First of all, the, the most goals are scored between 10 feet and 20 feet of the net, 34% of them. Which is completely different than when we were growing up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everybody thinks it's the big shot from the point. No. Well, here, here's the other news for you. It and used look, to be, but... The most effective shot up to 30 to 40 feet from the net to score is a wrist shot. Yeah. It's not a slap shot. No, well, we all... Because you get it off in, quick. In the prospect game, I've learned this a long time ago that, yes, the time to get off a wrist shot is so much easier than winding up for a one time. And accuracy. And accuracy. And yep. sometimes it's just getting it off the net. And these guys are so strong now that, yeah, it makes sense. Some wrist shots are slap shots. You know what I'm noticing, too? <laughs> and I don't want to give away too much because there's at least one player in the draft that does this. Some guys don't even get their stick off the ice anymore for a wrist shot. You don't need to. Yeah. Yeah. The stick, and there's so much flex like There's in almost the no follow through. Yeah. It's just like, boom. Boom. Yeah, and they can and they can just gun it. Yeah. Um, real quick, let's wrap it up with uh, Toronto Bruins, game seven. It's Bruins because I use this analogy. Is that game tonight? Yeah. There's an analogy that I used, and I'm going to use it again. Shit, I'm going to edit this out because I'm going to edit this tomorrow. Okay. So we're not going to talk about that. Okay. All right. Um, should we just wrap it? Wrap it, or you could talk about the 11th pick. I can just give oh, yeah. it basic. All right. So, all right. So let's put a wrap on this. The 11th pick in the NHL draft. The Flyers approach the podium. What are the options? Well, I think they have to be on the phone before they approach the podium because Chuck told us they want a goal scorer. Mm-hmm. Cole Caulfield is the best goal scorer in the draft, in my estimation. He's five foot seven, so he could dip a little. But for people to think that he's going to dip to eleven, even though before the under eighteen started, that probably was the thought. Mm-hmm. He has nine goals in three games, eleven points in three games. Let that sink in for a minute. Mm-hmm. Now again. There's a few players missing from the under-18s. Kako is going to be in the world championships. But it's mainly the best guys, mainly, at that age group. This guy is lighting it up like it's a video game. That's crazy. So he's not going to be there at 11. He's not going to be there at 10 or 9. 
He might not be there at six. Yeah. So let's say they have to go up five spots in this draft. Okay, to get to six. To get to six. Are you prepared to give up like a second round pick and Morgan Frost or Isaac Ratcliffe? Like, I mean, I'm just saying, like, if you yeah. want a guarantee, I mean, if you want a guaranteed goal score, or are you willing to give up a first next year, a second this year? You know, what are you willing to give up? And and still, you got to trade with the team that that's in that spot, Who's which I think six? six is Detroit. So yeah, see, um, I know, and they need <laughs> that too, right? Yeah. So, so the price is going to be ridiculous. Yeah, but then again, you look at what. Eiserman's coming into a situation here where it's not yeah. they're not at the ground level. They have Zadina, they have Mantha. No, but they, they have some good have, young they, players. But they still have a lot of holes. All right. Yeah. All right. So, so he may want so what I'm think, saying though is he may want bulk. He went, may want quantity of picks. Yeah, no, he probably would. Yeah. So, so that may be achievable. Yeah. Are you going to give him a first and a second next year and your second and maybe another pick this year and a player? Yeah. Are you going to do that? Yeah, look, if you want to get a primetime goal scorer, you got to give something I mean, up. I mean, Cole, Caulfield skates almost as well as Jack Hughes. He keeps up with Jack Hughes. He sometimes makes Jack Hughes better. He also can be a great assist guy, mm-hmm. but he has a knack for goal scoring, and he loves to score goals. He is like Debrinkit that way, and he might be better than Debrinkit. Wow. He might be. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you're going to have to give up something to get that. But he got the gonna... hands at Debrinkit? Yeah, he's got hands. Wow. Man. And, and he might have a better release. Mm. Might. Debrink so, is a 40 goal scorer. I know. Yeah. And I'm not saying he's going to score more than 40 because that's yeah. just silly. But again, if you get a guy who could score at that level, you are going to give up something because he's showcasing it right now. So, yeah. you know, it's nice to say, oh, the Flyers should get him at 11. But but if he's not there, maybe, you know, Victor Soderstrom's a great defenseman, a Swedish defenseman. I don't even know if he'll be there. Uh, Guys like Cousins will be gone. You know, Peyton Krebs will be there. He's a big left winger. Not a big left winger. He's a strong left winger with a great shot. He's about 5'11". That's a good pick. Trevor Zegras, who I have ranked one spot higher. People can go to sportsology.com. I only did my top 12 to help out Flyers fans, but I will have my top 31. (laughs) I will have my top 31 up soon. But, well, because I knew if I didn't have that, like, you know, people would wonder, like, because I was just going to give a top 10, and I'm like, no, no, I can't. They're not picking it at that. Right. So, but Zegers could be an elite center. He's a guy that's not necessarily looked at that as yet, but he had like 76 points with the NTDP. He was the second leading scorer, I believe. So, second or third. And so, you know what? I know the Flyers fans will be like, well, we've got enough center. You never know if a guy's going to play center or wing anyhow. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter if he's listed as a center or not. He does play both, by the way. He has played both before. So maybe that's another guy. Or maybe somebody else drops. Maybe Kirby Doc is a guy that drops. They're going to be in a spot where they're going to be looking to see who's dropping. And then they're going to have to probably make a trade. Yeah. Because by the time you're picking at 11, you're getting a really good player, but I don't know if you're getting a franchise player anymore. Now, yeah. again, the haters will say, well, Nolan Patrick's not a franchise player, and he was picked second. Different drafts, different people. Mm-hmm. You know, like this draft has a lot up top, and then it's going to be pretty consistent for rounds. But the first two are guaranteed franchise guys. One is a generational guy. And then, yeah, then it goes from like 3 to 8, 3 to 10, and then you get your next drop off. So no, you go generational, huh? For Jack Hughes, yeah, yeah I go I generational. Throw that term out there for him. No, no, no. I I've seen enough of him. I I do. Really. So, yeah. but again, this is what you're what you're looking at. So you can't match it up. You you know, as an example, Brady Kachuk in this draft, in my estimation, would go second or third. He probably goes. He could ahead go ahead of Kako. Kako and wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, do you not like what you see out of Brady no, I mean, Kachuk? Knowing what you know now, too, though. No, I mean, no, but, but I mean, yeah. you know, but I ranked him higher than some last year. So it just, it all depends on the players and the year, and it never, strength of draft doesn't mean when you're picking, it doesn't, you're not going to get a good player or you're not. Sometimes you make a bad pick, too, as a franchise. I just think based on Chuck's 
background and and Brent's background that they're probably going U.S. Yeah, you're talking about Brent Flair and and Brent Flair and and the NTDP. And the NTDP. Is Tell people what the NTDP is. This year, okay. yes, the National Team Development, Development Program. Program. This is the yeah. strongest team they've had in a lot of years. Mm-hmm. So. Wouldn't shock me if they get one of them. All right. Great info. And you can hear Russ on... uh, And we'll get into it more. NHL Network Radio's Hockey Prospects Radio. Breaking it all down as always. And uh, we just survived another episode. So we'll see what happens in the playoffs. We did. And we'll see uh, how it goes over the next week. And we'll be back uh, to talk more hockey with you on the Stick to Hockey podcast. Enjoy your hockey, everybody. Thank you.